0: I personally believe that jiu-jitsu, there's a place for it to be kind of hobbyist and kind of middle ground between pro and hobbyist. I believe that all hobbyists can have a very high standard for themselves in their jiu-jitsu. So they shouldn't put pressure on themselves, but they should be putting, again, full effort on the mat. And if you're putting full effort on the mat, you're doing your best and you're being honest with yourself with your goals, then I'm totally okay with that. Like if your goals are to come in and be the best practitioner, grow and get good at jiu-jitsu, that's amazing. If your goal is to like have really, really like best jiu-jitsu possible, training with the pros, but you really don't care to go out and compete and stuff like that, that's great too.
1: Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. Today, I'm honored to be joined by none other than Juni Ocasio. Juni is a jiu-jitsu black belt under the legendary Murillo Santana. He's been a dominant force on stages like Who's Number One, Kasai, Fight to Win, IBJJF, and many more. Juni now calls Unity Jiu-Jitsu School in the heart of New York City his home. After intensive training with the legendary mastermind behind the modern leg game, Eddie Cummings, Juni's insights into refining his leg system are nothing short of extraordinary. Today, we're going to explore this and so much more. We'll uncover Juni's perspective on the modern leg system, the power of effort, the importance of visualization, and the invaluable role of mental coaches in his journey. Plus, we'll touch on his ups and downs as a pro, the lessons learned along the way, and more. Jenny’s life story is as compelling as his jiu-jitsu journey. Growing up in a challenging environment in the Bronx, New York, he's triumphed over adversity, and in this episode, I was determined to focus on the genius of his jiu-jitsu, which sometimes gets overshadowed by his past. Jenny's a prolific content creator with a staggering 15 instructionals at last count on BJJ Fanatics. And for those of you craving even more, his Instagram and YouTube channels are treasure troves of free content. And with that, I'm super honored to give you Junie Ocasio. Junie, welcome to the show, man.
0: How you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you.
1: Such an honor to have you on. I'm such a fan, man. We find your jujitsu to be such a joy to watch. It's so much fun,
0: man. I really appreciate that. I guess for me, it's always nice to hear that somebody likes watching me fight because sometimes I get so like crazy in my head about being perfectionist that some days, you know, you don't. You don't remember that other people like watching me fight. So it's, it's definitely appreciated that people like to see me go out. And I appreciate you.
1: It's interesting that you mentioned that about being perfectionist. I've heard you in the past say things like you used to be sort of obsessed with winning all the time. Everything. I got a sense that you sort of regretted that aspect. And I'm curious your advice to people and hobbyists, whatever it may be, practitioners that are out there that, you know, they feel they need to win every role in the academy all the time. Stress on everything in comps and, and et cetera.
0: I'm in like a balanced place with that right now. So like um, I I personally don't like to lose nothing. Like I'm a very competitive person, especially I think it's more competitive because um, the amount of hours I put in and decades, you know, the decade I put in over a decade I put in and sacrifice almost pretty much everything in my life to do this. So for me, it means a lot to make sure like I'm the best. But that's like a double-edged sword. So like it's also the reason why I'm getting really good and continue to grow and fight well and, and express myself when I fight. And more often than not, that I win than I lose. But the downside is is that it also holds you back, right? Because then you're just you're just fighting like this the whole time, every single day, and it's it's not good for progress. It's not good for your mental state. So at these this day and age i put a lot of emphasis into effort in the room and um don't consider like losing rounds or certain matches like an end game so like i i I get really crazy about losing matches regardless because the truth is i I train really really hard and more often than not i don't lose you know like more often than not i I get my wins but it is part of the the life you're gonna get some losses and it, it when you're good enough and you go out enough you're gonna get some losses and uh you gotta learn how to deal with that in a positive way and so like i try really hard not, not to put the identity with losing with my identity of myself so something I did in the past a lot and still struggle with a little bit like because my whole identity is jujitsu and, and all the stuff I do sometimes you forget that you're an actual person and like you're worthy no matter if you win or lose so it's definitely in a place right now where I emphasize effort over everything it's like you don't need to win you don't need to have to do this but you have to put that effort in there and if we do lose it'll be because we lost it won't be because you know we didn't try we didn't cut corners that's where i'm at in my head and and in the past i wish i would just relax anytime i just relax i usually do my best like i usually like go out and some of the fights where like i sub the guy like one minute or did some crazy shit in the fight it was because i wasn't really thinking like i just trusted my training Versus like putting so much pressure on myself and then focusing on the wrong things. And even if I won it, it was a shitty win or something like that. My advice to hobbyists is this is a really big thing. Everyone's different with this. I personally believe that jujitsu, jitsu um, there's a place for it to be kind of hobbyist and kind of middle ground between pro and hobbyist. I believe that all hobbyists can have a very high standard for themselves and their jujitsu. So they shouldn't put pressure on themselves, but they should be putting again, full effort on the mat. And if you're putting full effort on the mat, you're doing your best and you're being honest with yourself with your goals, then I'm totally okay with that. Like if your goals are to come in and be the best practitioner, grow and get good at jiu-jitsu, that's amazing. If your goal is to like have really, really like best jiu-jitsu possible, training with the pros, but you really don't care to go out and compete and stuff like that, that's great too. If you're just somebody who just wants to come in and get a workout and leave, that's cool but you will not see the same results as somebody who puts more effort into their craft. So I'm all about them being honest with themselves and goal range. And especially with me in my class, I hold a standard that everyone has to follow that they don't fall below, and most of the time, like I'd say, 90% of the room hits that standard, and I think only like 1% of the room competes. So like, it's a room where I can train in that room, and I can get better in that room, if I didn't have any world-class black black belts near me. So that's important for me. I'd say say for hobbyists, like, don't put too much pressure on the wins and the losses. Just do your best, and and be honest with doing your best. Um, Only you know if you're doing enough.
1: Join us, Veterans Day, Saturday, November 11th, for a leg-lock-intense at North Bay Jiu-Jitsu in Novato, California. Everyone is welcome. There will be a Leg Lock 101 for the first two hours. There'll be a break. Following two hours will be advanced leg locks. It's really a leg lock one-day camp. Tremendous value. Charles Harriet of Globetrotters fame has several instructionals on BJJ Fanatics. An amazing teacher. First degree black belt. I highly recommend it. I hope you can join us. The first ever Forever White Belt sponsored seminar. First 10 people to register will receive a Jelly Jiu-Jitsu seminar. Ceramic insulated water bottle. Hope to see you there. Can you give me specific examples of when you see someone that's in the academy that you're teaching or something that's falling short on effort? What does that look like to you? How do you define effort?
0: So, I define effort by not what you do, how you do things. So, your effort can be like, I'm having a shitty day, but I'm gonna put effort when I get into the gym. I'm gonna block out whatever's going on. I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna get to my training. Effort could be like in between rounds instead of sitting there, laying down on the floor, wasting time, getting water, wasting time, getting to your next partner. And then the round starts and then you don't get ready for like another 30 seconds. That's effort. That's how you carry yourself. If I put a four minute round on for you and the goal of the class is that I want short rounds so that everyone can do more bursts without fatigue. And you take longer to get to your round, longer to get water. And then you start your round at three minutes and 45 seconds versus four minutes. And then you do that for three, four rounds. That adds up to an extra minute. That minute for four days is four minutes. That minute for two weeks, those minutes for two weeks is eight minutes. And then etc. etc. right? Like it's how you do things. So like you can still talk and have fun and have effort. You can still laugh and train and have effort. So like when I go to the gym and I train and I'm getting ready and I'm not... To, you know, I train every day, all the time. This is my job, right? Like, it's my life. But to say that you're in it every single day, that, like, you love, love, love it every single day is a lie. You know, like, you do it, like, another job, and sometimes it gets to you, and you're exhausted, and you got to go in there, and you can't half-ass the workout. You got to go in there and say, hey, look, man, this, I'm, for this, like, next 45 minutes, I'm zoned out. I'm putting put my effort into this. And then the little things can change that. If I'm in the room working out, and this is just an example. It's a little easier for me to show myself. And I start thinking like while I'm training, like, man, effort. And then I start thinking about some other problem or something else is going on. Or I stop and look at my phone more like 10 times versus the, like the little bit. Or I take forever to go to my sets. Or my posture is lousy during the sets those are things that are like eye control so it's like same thing in class so like if you go in class and your posture is low and uh, your energy is low and then you take time to get to your rounds or I say put full effort into your round and you don't put effort into like doing that and you just say you're doing your best but you're not really doing your best like you're not really putting yourself to grow in that round or in that class that's very important if you're one of the people who are a little bit better than everybody, and then you're in the situationals. And if you wanted to get out every single time, you could, right? If you don't put effort into actually trying to put yourself in situations where you're going to get caught and it's going to hurt your ego, then you're probably not doing as much effort as you think you're doing. You're just feeding your ego. For instance, for me, I'll go into situational and everyone loves if they get anything on me. Like it could be a sweep, it could be anything. And I get crazy about everything. But in those situations, my biggest focus is to do my absolute best and just give it my all. And most often than not, I'm upset because I should have walked this way. Or the pressure should have been this way. Or I did this and I got caught in a footlock this way. Or I did my arm lock escape and I did this way. It's okay because I put effort into that training. Like I, I put 100% into that training. So I'm very big on that. No matter what we do, I'm very big on that. And I'm very big on um, a thing called winning the day. For me, winning the day is the little things you do in between like you do the dishes when the dishes are supposed to be done. You know, instead of waiting for the next day, get your shit ready the day before. Yeah, you're tired. You're five hours in, six hours in at work. Yeah, it's okay. Go do your workout like you're supposed to do. When you do that and then you go to sleep, you win the day. And you're ahead of so many other people when you do that. And same thing for a class. You come in, you go to class, and you get up. You drink your water. You put full effort into doing your round, getting to the next thing coming around. I, I think that's just more, really big for me because that's how you grow faster. You know, that's how you get your skill up faster. If I let my students just chill, talk bullshit 24-7 and late to rounds, late to get up, late to be focused, you're significantly drop your process by like 50-60% because you're just chilling. And that's cool. If you want to do that, that's fine. I just don't believe in having it like that. I believe that you should be chilling and be able to still do what you're supposed to do.
1: When you were ex- defining it and sort of giving the examples of it, I kept thinking this is just like you want someone to be present. Yes.
0: You want someone to be really Mm -hmm. present. Yeah. Because think
1: about it, right? Like, how can you give
0: effort any other way? You can give effort and and thinking about tomorrow or the next day or your job. The reason why people go to Jiu Jitsu who aren't like in love with like just being like a full time athlete or a competitor is because you get fucking lost. It brings something out of you. You're supposed to be there and be lost. You're supposed to have a bad day and go to Jiu Jitsu. And it could be hard and and you'll leave there a lot less frustrated. And even if you are frustrated, you'll still be better than when you walked in. And that's what people go there for for you know so it's important to try to like let things go and go and listen let me tell you something. I I know what it's like to be very distracted And people don't know what goes behind the scenes, you know. Like, this is the first year where I'm really back in my normal, normal self. Um, before that, the last two years in 2021 and 2022, I was going through some crazy stuff and I had to go out and perform every single day. And it was hard, bro. Like, it was hard. So, like, I know what it's like, but life won't stop for you for those things. So, you got to kind of go out there and go. So, like, I try to instill that in my students so that another reason I do very big on effort is because when you tell somebody, don't make mistakes, or you tell somebody, you got to be perfect, don't give it up, oh, let's go, let's do this, that's cool. But if I say, guys, I don't give a fuck what happens, I just want effort in the room. I want effort in the room. I want effort how you do this training. I want effort how you do this. And I really want you to be honest with yourself and know that you're doing more and doing your absolute best. Which one do you think is going to perform better? The one that says effort and and structures it in a manner where it's in your brain. It's like, oh, okay. It doesn't matter if I win or lose. I'm just going to go forward. And that's how I started switching up my teaching style, especially in like the last two years, especially after doing a lot of mental work, a lot of studying on myself. I just react better to that. And I assumed that my students would too. and, And since then, it's been a lot better
1: are you you know is it if you don't mind sharing like psychologists a mental coach uh, Marillo himself you know or, or what what do you
0: No, Murillo hasn't been there as much as um, I think that he wants to be. I think that he is a very busy man, and I'm also a busy person running the morning program. We are very similar and alike, so we pretty much train together every day, and we talk every day, but internal stuff to have to deal with me, I had to go out and get a mental coach. I think I had a mental coach, like an actual one, for like two years. I had two mental coaches for one year. Then I did a lot of, you know, I I like to learn a lot, so I listen to a lot of podcasts that people bring on like you know specialists in their field and talk about a lot of things and i also started going back and as a 37 year old male i started going back and really figuring out what went wrong with me so long ago with all my trauma growing up and stuff like that and knowing who i am and being real and honest with myself and what my goals were and because of that, I've been able to become a better person and be able to look myself in the mirror a little bit better and, you know, just grow from there. But for sure, I'm still working on it. It's a battle every day, affirmations every day, still listening to a lot of things in the morning. I listen to a lot of books, very competition specific, and then also just kind of like very like trauma abuse and stuff like that from growing up, stuff like that. So that's where my mind goes. And I'm always learning. I'm always willing to learn. I'm always, always trying to learn. I just had a call with one of my mental coaches that kind of like periodically checks in on me because I'm getting ready to fight, and it was a very, very good call. Sometimes you know things in your head, it's just good to have somebody there, to, third person, to like see it through, you know, or they at least let it, let it out.
1: Experience pure refreshing hydration with Jelly Jitsu's Jitsu Journeyer. Not just an ordinary water bottle, but a promise of peak performance on and off the mat with ceramic insulation. You see that white in there? That's uh, the ceramic. It's awesome. It makes whatever you uh, have in there taste like what it should. No weird metallic taste. With the ceramic insulation, you can enjoy clean sips that stay cold for 24 hours or hot for 12. Elevate your training sessions and reward yourself with a special 10% discount at jellyjitsu.com forward slash 10 jellyjitsu.com forward slash 10 your body at its best with jelly jitsu you are a black belt under the legend you know marillo santana and you are teaching at unity in new york can you talk about unity what makes unity uh, a special place for you
0: you know it's a special place in my heart no matter what i think it's just Murillo is such a special person, man. You know, I met this man like almost a decade ago, you know? And when I met him, I had some potential and I, and I was, you know, I was still winning. I, I always was, I always had very, a lot of good success in jiu-jitsu. But when I found him, he just showed me like, you can work harder. Your limits are like nothing. Like what you're doing is nothing, you could do more. And when he opened my eyes to that, it kind of like really pushed me to like really be better than myself. Murillo is a special place in my heart. He's just like an encyclopedia. Not only is he a great person, now don't get me wrong, He's one of the roughest people to be under. He has very high standards, but he makes you tough and he makes you really good at jujitsu. He made me good that I know that I can go anywhere in the world and teach a seminar and I'll be okay. Or I can write my instructionals. Like I've been teaching since I was a blue belt, white belt. So like it's been a long time teaching and he made sure that I was teaching since then. So without him, I wouldn't have had that extra practice and that extra like thing to like get ready to teach. He is absolutely amazing in his technique. He's up to you have a guy who's a middle middle heavy and he can fucking out and the young guys that are smaller than him and you know he's versed in every position to the point where like he can sit there and do like three corrections on you and change your whole game you know so he's just an amazing professor and for me he's really close as a, as a, like a brother um i'm very fortunate to have him in my life but unity itself the way it's supposed to be is hard work by good people train your hardest fight your hardest be honest and i like that like i like that you're supposed to train hard and you're supposed to like give it your all during training and you're supposed to have a rough time on the mats and i came up through the first generation of unity so like i had the roughest time and we're a lot nicer now than we were back then it's just a beautiful place that you're gonna get top notch jiu-jitsu. And I, it's a place that you can be a hobbyist and have really good jiu-jitsu or be a pro. And that that's important to me. Like I instill that type of thing in my class. Like my classes, you know, eventually when I open my own academy. It'll be that type of place. It'll be a hybrid between a hobbyist and a pro training session. Every single class. It there will be not one class where you come in and you'll be like, Man, I'm just this is like a just chill place. Yeah, it's not. You're gonna to get top notch jiu jitsu and then you choose what you want to do with it, whether you want to be world class or not. Like you don't you don't have to be world class, but you're gonna get good instruction world class jiu-jitsu, and, and that's important. So it's a special place for me and specifically the morning too, because I built the morning up from zero people to you know having consistent morning programs over the course of eight years. So it's been a very long time to be able to do that.
1: It's awesome to hear that opening academy is on the on the goal list.
0: You know, I'm a little older than the other guys. As far as jujitsu goes, I'm old. But I still got, I take good care of my body. I'm, I'm very active, very focused in my recovery and my um, athletic abilities and pushing myself every day, being smarter, studying, learning from nutritionists, everything that I can possibly do to be my best athletic person that I can be. So I feel like I got a lot more years in me left. But at some point in the next three, four years, we want to start looking towards opening academy and, and moving on to that next phase of that. The reason why I haven't done it yet is just because I would have to take a little bit of time away from competing. And I really just want to focus on myself because all that's remaining for me and my goals is just my last titles at Black Belt. I the last like, couple titles that mean something to me, and then I don't care.
1: <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Your last few performances and your thoughts on them. I know you're the you're hardest critic, but uh, can you share with us how you felt ADCC open, etc.?
0: Mainly, I've, I've lost two matches this year total. I believe I should have won both, so I'm very upset. I believe I I lost my first match out against someone I had previously just beat at Worlds, and I subbed them in like three minutes, and I messed up my mental and the game plan and execution and poor competition decisions that made me lose a very narrow decision. And then I lost uh, ADCC Open one, and this is not a cop out, no excuse to my opponents. You lose, you lose. But I felt a lot of people in jujitsu, and I know when I'm out outclassed or like when I'm not and I'm never outclassed and I don't feel like I was outclassed at all. I felt like I was controlling a match, but I didn't really want to be there. Like I didn't want to fight that tournament. Like I just talked myself into fighting the tournament when I really didn't have any urge to do it
1: i'd heard you mention that you felt like you should be invited to the big game and i, I kind of agree and i got the sense that you felt like i shouldn't have to go to open but i'll probably do it that's the kind of vibe that i was getting
0: it was, it was like um so listen i'm a competitor and i earn every win and i earn every loss and so there's no excuse there but you got to be honest with yourself and i'm truly honest with myself so when i came out in the beginning of the year i had lost that Worlds, and i had put a lot into worlds i was leaving my ex my ex-fiance of 17 years that year i I was in the process of moving. I had lost a lot of money that I had saved up for years on end, and it was a really rough time. And I had pushed through all of it, and I got to Worlds, and I had a really bad semifinal, and. I just dropped the ball and I got devastated. I was depressed. Like I was low-key depressed. Like I, I just didn't want to train. But, you know, I, I get up and I train no matter what. Like I still got up. I still train. But I was just angry, you know. And so my thoughts going to that first competition of the year was, you know, this person signed up that beat me. I'm going to go fight him right now. And I'm going to rectify that and prove to myself that I know I'm better than him because I had beaten him before. So I know I can do it, which is the worst mindset you can do. And so I go in there and there's only the, key ends up pulling out and there's only one guy in there that I had already previously beat. And in my mind, I had, there's like, sometimes you sub people, there's no better way to beat them than what you had beat them, right? Like you're not going to beat them anyway. And when you sub somebody a couple times, you probably might not even finish this time. You know, that's how rematches go. And so I went into this match and I'm controlling the match and and I just did dumb, poor decisions, And I got a little bit more like submission happy and just going for subs. Like I was like ahead of like a lot of points and I gave a guy, let the guy control the tempo a little bit too much. And then I lost and it was just very disappointing. And that pushed me down a little further because I was just like, damn, like I knew that I should have won the fight and I knew that what I'm capable of. And I know I'm a smarter competitor than that. And that was what I was upset about more is that like, you know, we make smart decisions and I'm a finisher and I go for finishes, but At the same time, winning is winning. And so, like, you have to win at the end of the day. So I was very disheartened by that. So then I decided to, you know, double down, reset, do everything I do, mental work, everything, and, you know, still dealing with a lot of things. And I go into my next two tournaments, which was the first ACC Open of the year and the Atlanta Open. Okay, so there's a reason why I wanted to do the ADCC Open, though, the first time, was because they had my weight class, my actual weight class there. So I didn't have to go up and weight class. And the one that I wanted to do last year that was at the actual ADCC Worlds, I had gone there, and I was in the process of that year. I was messing around with a nutritionist for the new diet, and everything was going great. But for some reason, there was two tournaments that fucked up. It was PANS, and it was ABCC. So for the first time in like 10 years, I missed weight. My body didn't drop the weight that it normally did. And I followed the thing, and I was embarrassed, you know? Like, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to show up at the competition because I'm professional. Like, I, you've never heard me not show up to a competition or not make weight. So I, then I ended up working the, with the nutritionist after that, and we fixed it, right? We fixed it. We figured out what went wrong, and, and since then... Beautiful process of making weight. Maybe you had to go through that to deal with it, whatever. So I was very motivated for that match, that, that competition, because it was me fighting the weight cut that I had done last time that I failed. And it was me doing the diet, making sure it went well. And then it was me fighting the ADCC rules. So it was very motivating for me. And I went out and I had fun and I destroyed everybody. I trained really hard for it. And then I fought the following weekend. And I went to the next one and I fought the Lancer Open and I felt great. And then I was like, okay, well... At this point, I'm number one, number three ranked everywhere. I have all the points in the world for IBJJF. I'm highly ranked in IBJJF for my weight class. So there's no real reason to fight IBJJF unless till we get to the championships. Well, I only fight because I like to fight. But at some point, that gets old. You know what I mean? Like that gets old. People see you come out and you're better off staying and, and working on your jiu-jitsu and coming out and doing the stuff that you really, really want. But I didn't do that. I was like, oh, I'll just go out and stay active. And then the weeks leading up to it, there was Worlds. And I'll tell you this. This is the true story, and I'm going to be really honest because I, I haven't really spoke about it. I saw Worlds happen, and I started judging myself compared to some of the competitors that I have previously fought and the way they either won worlds or they retired at worlds and i was like wow they're retiring at like 27 and like i'm 34 and i started comparing us and then i got into like a deep hole and then i started like feeling shitty about myself like i like what what have i done you know and then i got really like shitty and i really didn't want to do tournament but you know i already was gonna do it and then all of a sudden you know you know i go into tournaments they cover you like they you know they're gonna watch you they're gonna show up everyone's your name on the thing they pay attention they want to kill you you know so it was just a lot of emotions and I went to a match that match and I made weight and it was an okay weight cut it wasn't great it just I just wasn't into it and then I fought and I felt like I honestly felt like I really didn't want to be there and I fought and I was controlling the whole fight the whole time and it was like I wasn't there and I really wasn't trying like i wasn't like yeah
1: you know the irony here is earlier we were talking about effort and being present and and you're giving us almost the definition right now of not being present
0: and when you don't that's what happens and you go in there and then i i think i got uh, i was doing a crab ride and i got overzealous and he pulled my leg in trying to hold my leg for a knee bar and it really wasn't there and Normally, I would just switch to the next thing. Oh, okay, I go to the next thing. I was so off and so, like, being aggressive in the wrong spot. And he caught my knee. It kind of was in, kind of was out. And it popped, like, once. But, like, I didn't feel like it was a tap. But I just tapped. I, I just tapped and walked off and went home. Like, I flew back, like, an hour later. I didn't really care about, like... Anything. I just wanted to go home. And so, like, that kind of showed me that I did, I'm like doing things that you don't want to do, like that you don't really want to do. Like, what was the significance of going there to get anything? Because then, like, somebody will look at that and they'll just be like, oh, well, Junie sucks. Then I came back and I took some downtime. I took a week off. I took half, I cut my training sessions in half for like over a week. And I just trained in the morning and I did one lifting session and I just relaxed and when i did that i started realizing like you know I'm, I'm still blessed i'm still here i still it was just being real about it you know it's even my girlfriend that told me like hey look there's no reason for you to go out i don't even know why you're going out because there is no reason for me to go out like i gain nothing from going to an adcc open and and winning you know when there's all these other guys that if i slip up once they gain everything i don't gain nothing. Uh, other than being like oh he's amazing and stuff like that and at, at this point in my life, I'm not in it for clout anymore. I'm not in it for like anything else. I'm just in it to hit my last little bit of goals that really means something to me. So that's how my last couple of matches went. And then I just went back and I stood down and I started preparing for some of the big competitions. And I went back to New York Open. And I had a great camp. I felt great, felt motivated to fight, excited to fight because I hadn't fought in a little bit. And there's nothing like a lost a taste of a loss in my mouth. I get really hyped up and I went out and I destroyed both my opponents within three minutes combined. And then I walked off and then I said, I'm not doing nothing until Pan Amps. And so like now that's all that my focus is on. And, and it's hard because sometimes I see other tournaments pop up. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that now. And I'm like, no, dude, what is your plan? Your, this is your goals. Pay attention to your route, not others.
1: So earlier you mentioned training with Eddie, Eddie comments. Can you touch on that time going, sending yourself away in the way back machine? And what you learn in that period? And what'd you witness? Because everyone has sort of deified Eddie, right? And rightfully so.
0: When you talk about pure specialists in their field, a lot of people can say that they think they are. Like, I'm a very well-rounded fighter. I usually have an answer everywhere. Like I, I, I study to the point where like, I know positions, even if I don't do them.
1: You do often get pegged as a, a leg person, but I think the people in the know know better than that.
0: They, they peg me as that, but the truth is, is I train gi every day. I do get pegged like that, but it's uh, it's okay because that's a good assessment because they only focus on that, which isn't my main game at all. Like my main game is that. Like I I have an a game in leg locks because I have a different style of them. But I've also was like, being exposed to Eddie. He's like one of the purest specialists I've ever rolled with in leg and I mean, I fought a lot of people. Like I fought so many people his students uh, nobody feels like Eddie nobody's ever felt like Eddie I've never felt in danger like the way Eddie put me in danger and because of that is the reason why I got so good and so comfortable fighting with the leg entanglements and so like he made me very good and I learned a lot when he came I think when sometimes people come to a place people are so terrified sometimes from like just getting beat up at that game that they are so away from it and I did the opposite I ran towards it and so like I was getting tapped left and right uh, every day with Eddie and we trained a lot together a lot and i learned so much from eddie and then when we talk about like if we rolled and you rolled somebody and i don't want to ever get in that position and i don't ever get in that position so me eddie roll and i never want to entangle my legs okay i walk away from the round i'm awesome for not getting leg lock but you did not class him in his game so when you go into his game head on foot for foot leg for leg entanglement for entanglement that guy's a mastermind And like he showed me so many things and then I was able to modify it and perfect things for my style and then add systems to it. It was a very special time. I was absolutely blessed. I met mean, Marilla Santana Black Belt. I learned most of my hardest leg locks, the core of leg locks, through Eddie Cummings. And I've been able to, like, really develop those and combine them together and make my own style, which is really, really grateful. Because not many people have that liberty to do it. And not just train under Eddie. Like, oh, I train under Like, really go and train athletically in the room with black belts. I mean, three-person switch for, like, an hour and a half. People don't even know how much rounds I got with Eddie, like, 24 or 7. It was really good, and he definitely changed me, and he got me ready for a lot of things. And without him, I wouldn't have been able to, like, really—I like was okay at leg locks before I met him, and then I got really good at leg locks. And then it was good. You know, like now people—you know, they, they respect it. I fought a lot of people. I fought Iminari. I fought John Calistan. I, I fought Keith Kukurian. I fought Geo. I fought everyone. Nobody feels like him. No one. To be honest, like uh, it took a long time for me to be able to like even go scrapping with him to even make sure that he doesn't get a leg. And so like it was really cool to be a part of him and catching him in the heel lock is fucking hard, man. Trust me, like it's I don't even know if I even call him once. He's amazing, you know. And he showed me the Z lock, and I was able to really take that and catapult it into spotlight. And I was able to make a system, and that's why I always show him credit for that move because as much as I made that I made the system around it that without him that would not be possible
1: now you mentioned developing game some of which is based on others can you talk about that process i know in the past you've mentioned like i've took i've taken some from gordon i've taken some from eddie i've taken some from murillo etc etc and i've made it to me especially when these people are not like your body type or your speed or, or whatever it may be
0: I think it's very important to remember that when you take knowledge from other people that you're probably never going to do it exactly like they do it. It's a very important thing to remember because like you've been doing that shit for 10 years. You feel like that. It's like me learning like an underhook from a judo guy and wrestling like i may be really good at it and i and, and i get good but yeah i'm not gonna feel like yours or the identical of it so i when i study i take the knowledge and or when i learn it i take it and i just apply it to my body type and i'm just very calculated it's hard to explain like like if i can to review footage that's great but i don't need to review footage in my rounds or like I can sit down and I can zone in and I can remember exactly what happened, what went wrong, what tension went wrong. And I can calculate like the next time I go, how I need to react to this position. And then I'll go try it. And if it doesn't work, I'll recalibrate it again. Even if I watch it, I still do that in my mind. And I do that in my mind all the time. So like, that's something that's to me that I actually probably never really even told anybody. I just like really see it in my brain. Like I will sit there and be like, just think about it so hard. I'm very visual in my mind. I have a very good imagination since I was a kid. So I can imagine the whole sequence feels like I can open the thing in my head and I can pick apart the part that didn't work. And why is this? Not working. Granted, as long as I'm not like super frustrated, I can I can be logical and be like, okay, this is no more because of this, this, and this. That's how I view it in my head. But just learning in general, I, I learn a lot from Lachlan Giles. I, I study, I religiously study Lachlan Giles. I like to stay on point with up to date techniques so that I know that there's nothing to surprise me. So like I'm up to date on buggy chokes. I'm up to date on like I put myself a lot of situationals with heel hooks with the new variations, new new defenses, and make sure that I'm cleaning up my game so that I can go out and finish guys still and still keep up with the young guys because you know let's be realistic at this day and age you're just fighting seven 18 to 25 years old on steroids so I have my work cut out for me studying is super important but also being mindful that you have a different body type and you might have to maneuver it to your body type so like for instance like if I learn from Marillo I've known him forever and I can kind of adjust it to where it is so it's a little easier but when I go learn from Lachlan Giles everything works pretty good but I have to modify it a little bit because I have a a little bit of a different body type. I have this five, six frame, but my arms and legs are pretty long for a five, six frame. So I actually can get away with things more than others, but I can't Pull off exactly what Gordon does because Gordon fights guys that, yeah, they're amazing guys, but they don't move like a fe- feather and light feather ways. It's just not the same. So you can't, you can't do that. Like, Gordon doesn't even need to be faster. He just has to time things. I have to be just as quick as my opponent. So it changes a lot. So I, I think that it's important to, when you study, take what works and... Practice and troubleshoot it and see how your body has to react because you may see something and somebody may teach it and you may have to troubleshoot it, you know, because you move differently. You may have to figure out what movement you do. So, like, I troubleshoot everything. So, I will never do anything competition I haven't troubleshooted.
1: I'm seeing a common theme between a lot of people who have like tons of experience and a lot of professionals that a lot of people would consider this whole concept woo-woo. But you mentioned it too, but in a sort of an indirect way, the importance of visualization. Do you find that important too? I think in just assimilating this stuff, not only for your own performance, but also probably for teaching. You said staying on the the edge of uh, you know the latest data for things like that, and to not get caught into certain things. You know, I was talking to Hunter Colvin sometimes back, and he's like, "Yeah, I never took the buggy choke seriously." I was like, "Well." What? you know, No way. And then I get caught on it and he's like, that'll never happen again. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, no, you can't.
0: So the difference between me and a lot of other people is that I was a little bit ahead of the curve because I divvy off from my coming up. I fought in every style of jujitsu coming up. So I didn't just, I-, I fought in sub only for a while for a long time. So I was exposed to a lot of 10th planet guys early on. So like I knew what the fly trap was. I knew what a bunch of stuff was. And when the buggy choke happened, I started like seeing like holes I can get into and as long, uh, you know, like I'm not a buggy choker. I just don't, it's just not my style. But you do have to watch out and it's there. It's there. And if you're not paying attention, you can get caught. So, me having the luxury of that, I knew how to respect every move, even the dumbest move can work, even if its probability of working is like two out of 10. Because it can be right at the right time of time. Or you could be the, like, for instance, I lost at the ABCC Open. The move he did when you crab ride somebody and they grab the feet between the legs and they try to pull your legs from out under you, nine times out of 10, you're going to get your back taken if you do that. But there'll be that one time if you're not paying attention and they pull it further and you're not paying attention that you get caught. And that's what happened that day. But that happens in the room 24 seven to me. And I always get out and always finish. So it's like doing a toehold from the back. If You do a toe hold on somebody and you give up your back. Almost for sure you're gonna get your back taken. But if that person doesn't hit the move at the right time and you hit it this time, it'll work. But it's not gonna work against more high level guys. It's just the truth. So like you know, you do have to respect the moves no matter what, and you gotta respect opponents, and you gotta be ready for any outcome, and you can't slip the ball. And so that this year, those two losses really showed me like you know, pay pay attention.
1: And the importance of visualization for you.
0: This is something I'm still working on. Um, I visualize a lot in fixing problems and in jujitsu and all that stuff. But I also start practicing visualizing, you know, being like in the competition, in the final match, and getting to the match, getting to the arena. It's a very hard thing to do because your brain normally wants to put you in third-person view, and visual- visualization is supposed to be in first-person view. You're not supposed to think of it as like a video game where you watch yourself. You're supposed to be I uh, seeing the hands and seeing the place and paying attention to the mat, and that's visualization and then like really being there and that's a hard thing to do so I'm still working on it but I try my best every day to visualize that I'm going to win my tournaments that I'm going to win my fights and that I'm amazing and I'm the best in the world and I've overcome a lot of things people can't and it's definitely an uphill battle but it's it's you know it's a battle that needs to be done.
1: Where do you think the leg game is at now? What's like the current meta?
0: It's kind of coming back around a little bit and where people are still hitting him. The thing is that this, at the time, like if you go back to 2019, the instructionals were not the same. They, they weren't the existent the same. So in three years, you got a abruptness of, information to the internet and you got all these crazy techniques some of them are just wild techniques that people create and some of them are very fundamental good jujitsu that is there so you have access to this and you can study it and you can practice it and you don't need the person to be there anymore so it evens the playing field a lot so it's not the same this is why i don't like releasing stuff anymore because my stuff is like gold to be honest and i don't really love to release it 24 7 but i think it's at a place where you can still have very effective leg locks but you need to have effective leg locks locks effective defenses and you have to have them up to date because a lot of things have changed since 2019 to 2023 okay so it's very important to remember that and that it's against high level guys the leg locks aren't going to do it alone you're going to have to be a little bit more well-rounded than just having the legs like i'm not going into like my competitions anymore being like oh like if i see it i'm gonna take it but if it's not there i'm gonna get the sweep i think using the leg entanglements to get better positions is where it's at in jiu-jitsu right now so like setting it up as they defend that you come up and get the double or you come up and get the sweep. And I think that's where it's at now. And then when they freak out with that, it's good. The only, the the people that are most in jeopardy are the people that ignored leg locks, the people that decided that they were only going to spend a little bit of time doing it. I think it's at a place where like, you know, you're going to have to be able to do more and not just be able to rely just on leg entanglements. It's just the game's far past that. Now, if you neglected it, then you're going to be afraid more. And some people think they're not afraid because they're like, Oh, I can stay away from their legs so I know leg lock defense, but that's not true. They actually are super afraid. And more often than not, I can still tell you that a lot of people do not dive into leg locks that deep. Because you can understand the knowledge and you can be good at it, but it does take a longer time to really like the difference between a practitioner and a theorist. So you can learn all the moves you want and you can do them in whatever, whatever. But the only the practitioner in the actual com- competition knows how it works at a high level when things and pressure is on the thing. So part of it too is that you need to have like a lot of time doing the leg locks that you feel comfortable. That That's super important to remember. But yeah, I think it's at a much even playing field now and you need a w- much more well-rounded game. You need a well-rounded game to funnel that back to the leg locks. Back and forth, right? So, like, a lot of the guys I see that are still doing very well with the leg locks. um, What's the guys that just, the ADCC trials, the European trials, he won the 77 kilograms.
1: Joseph Chen.
0: I know him, so I, I apologize to him. They they're doing well. Taz is Taz is still lock, leg locking people. Gordon's still leg locking people. I'm still leg locking people. There's a lot of people that are there still doing it well, but they've had to upgrade their techniques. Like you have you have to. It's just the defenses have changed. The angles in which you can cast things, and then it's also your own style. I have my own style of of leg lock, but I understand the structures and everything, and then I follow my own way to get there. It's just an interesting thing. But yeah, it's definitely, it's a new era of, of that. And and the more people come up, the more they grow up, the more they start young. You know, I didn't start when I was five years old. I'm super lucky that I can, I'm 34 years old and I I know the exact same amount of information that a 19-year-old does than he grew up since he was doing was five. So it's a little different, but that's not how it is anymore. You know, like the kids are growing up and they're coming up with leg locks and with things and with this. And it's just a different day. You got to make every. Every moment count, you know, because a couple of years is going to be some different type of hybrid that's coming up.
1: And we did see like some leg lock specialists. Um, suddenly ADCC came, became even bigger than it was. And it was glaringly obvious that everyone's stand up in wrestling was much weaker than the rest of their game. And you were fortunate that you have a wrestling background. What are your thoughts on this whole now there's this whole meta of the just stand up movement?
0: No, I got to be honest. I mean, listen, I've lost a lot of certain matches by getting scored on a takedown. And I wrestled as a young kid, but I did not dive into it and did not pay attention to it. Nowhere did I did now. I'm actually training under Josh and Mitch Feinsilver. So they're really big in wrestling and they're more near, a little bit more near my size. And I've been really diving into wrestling and stand up for the last like, I mean, like really being honest with yourself, like, like I've been always practicing it, but like really practicing religiously is the last like two and a half years. And the last year I upped it when we got our new coaches and like I really dove into visualizing the sequences and practicing and and forcing myself to stand up. I mean, there's such that i'm not allowed to pull in that just because i made the rule i'm not allowed to pull the whole time and it's against bigger guys too and so like it's hard and i've wrestled really good wrestlers and i've been able to really develop it but it took a long time to develop it's a little bit longer it's a little bit more scarier for me but yeah i think now it's it's needed let me get it straight you don't absolutely need it you can still out jujitsu somebody without standing up but To be a full well-rounded fighter, to be a fighter that's not afraid to go wherever the fight goes, it's important to have stand-up. It's important to be okay there. It's important to catch submissions and stand-up. It's important to, like, you know, if I go into a competition now, hey, maybe I lose by stand-up, but it's not going to be because I don't understand it. It's not going to be because I'm afraid of it. You know what I mean? You know, if there's five minutes left in a match and I'm losing, I'm going to stand the fuck up and chase the guys. So I agree with it, but I also think that a lot of people stand, and I think jujitsu's wrestling is complete shit. I don't really think people do wrestling to really practice their stand-up skills. I think they just do it. They collar tie really hard. They swing wildly. They do crazy double shots. They're muscling half the time, and they're not paying attention to the actual technique that is applied. And I think if... They're able to do that, they can significantly increase their stand up. Now, I'm not saying that I go out every round and I do stand up because my weight division, my weight class does not call for it the same way. Because when I go into IBDJF, the people have decided that they're going to pull from the beginning of the match. So if I don't double pull with them or I don't get up on that advantage, it might cost me the fight. So there's a moment where I can't do it. But when it does come up, I promise that I will surprise a lot of people. But you need that confidence. Confidence knowing that okay it doesn't matter we're standing now we're wrestling I think this is what happened to me at the ACC open I think that one ACC open I wrestled a lot at ACC open and I remember going into that final match saying okay over time we're wrestling now just like we're in the gym and I started wrestling and it it, it was fine it was great didn't matter to me what was going on um I was absolutely fine there that's an important skill because there's a lot of people that don't put time into it my class is a mandatory stand-up rounds so you have mandatory stand-up rounds in the geek out the geek my class starts standing every single day they never start one person up one person down only for situationals and maybe if it's a relaxed day maybe like two days three days out of the month they do that otherwise you have to earn your pool and you got to earn your takedown as if we're in a live match even if you're not competing
1: and your thoughts on the importance of the turtle now with adcc rules and stuff i'm, I'm hearing now more pros considering it now and, and more deeply and as seriously than they used to if it's
0: a transitionary position i'm okay with it if your first instinct is to turtle Every single time you get your, you're gonna get your guard pass, That means to me that you have poor guard retention. So I don't follow that same philosophy. I think that it's important. I've studied a lot of escapes from turtle. I've I practiced a lot from the back, especially with the ADCC rules. And I think it's good to have that with ADCC rules. But I also think that it's a very bad habit to be the first thing that you do is turtle when you get your guard pressed. You, like so many people won't even have proper guard retention, and they'll drop their legs and they'll turtle right away. And okay. For ADCC that might not matter But for any other rule set that matters Like if you make somebody turtle on the ground in my opinion They've conceived the the position And they've decided that they're going to shell up And stay there Now if they stay there It really shows me that you are freaking out and that you are being outclassed a little bit. If you're able to shift through turtle and use it as a maneuver to get to your guard or get back to being offensive, then I absolutely love it. I think that that's absolutely fine. Turtle's fine to defend, stay there. But a lot of people I roll with, the high-level guys, they will only ever turtle if they're absolutely like you got past their legs, their arms, their secondary Third, fourth, fifth defense, and then they turtle. And then let me tell you something. They defend, and then when they're ready to go, they go. They get out. Like, it's the same with me. Like, I'm don't, i not staying there to have you roll around my back. You have to know it. You have to know it. It's important to know it. I think the thought process around it is a little different for me. Like, I I do not teach my students to be the first thing they turtle because, like, if I'm about to get my guard pass, turtle. But it should be turtle to retention, turtle to attack, turtle to something. It should not be turtle stagnant, stay, and stay there like you're not doing anything you know what I mean I personally think that the takedown rule for ADCC is cool-ish but I do think that if I do a takedown and you land on your you know two knees on the ground you should it's a takedown you know but and that's fine if it's not it just creates more scrambles and more action and stuff like that but then this is a big hole because now you have guys who absolutely maybe they suck and they just good at defending themselves because they get beat up a lot and then all of a sudden you're not scoring on them and then they'll do some spazzy shit and score on you and win a fight and they're they're not better than you so like for me it's it's a it's a good and bad thing it's creates action creates movement but and it gets you better at your back takes and stuff like that but i also think that it promotes people who aren't really good at good at jiu-jitsu to get some wins on some people that they normally wouldn't be able to
1: can you give me a, like the priority in terms of leg entanglements or the leg game system I should say you see people get obsessed with leg entries then there's the stage of leg control. Right Pinning, wedging, et etc, stru- creating structures, whatever. and then finishing mechanics. Is there a priority in that sequence anywhere? Where should people be focusing on?
0: The games change so much that like I think that like they all all those rules need to be like kind of intact. For instance, like if I get a heel hook bite and I can'm I'm, I'm pretty good at like getting a bite and throwing my legs last the way I have the bite. So like there's ways to do that. There's ways to control the leg and do the absolute finish last and there's ways to do that and use it for a position. I honestly think you need kind of all of them. It's, it's very hard to like do one for each person cause like nobody's gonna move the same. So like some people I can catch the fucking heel like that and then I can throw my legs a little bit secondary and go and some people are really athletic and really explosive that I would focus more on controlling the leg than I would the actual finish. Because they're so athletic that they're like a young 25-year-old jumping around. I'm going to control them, slow them down, and then and catch the finish. So I think it's, it's honestly, you, you need both depending on the person. I think the rules can be broken up a little bit because there's a lot of gray area there in the leg entanglements. If I had my choice, I would be controlling the leg and be isolating and then going into a finish if I had my choice. But in the actual place of rolling, you you need to be having control simultaneously with the finish and being able to shift in that in the air or through the motion a little little quicker than you normally do through drilling. Entries gotta be really clean and the bite has to be tight. And then you have to really commit to controlling and catching the leg. But again, rolling live, somebody knows what they're doing. You got to be really tight on those things. So I think you you kind of need both. I, I've done every single type. Control the leg first, then finish. Or being very tight entry and then control the leg or a tight entry, catch to finish mid-roll, and then throw my legs in last. It, it just really depends. But I'm more of pre- I'm a precision striker. So like I try to hit them when I'm zoned in. I don't try to like blast shitty heel hooks like a lot of people do. I actually try to make sure that like when I catch that, it's going to end the game.
1: It always looks much more surgical with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not the same as other people. I think it's because like I respect everybody's thing and I respect like the mechanics and stuff. So when I isolate it, it's like it, it looks clean because like I just really put effort into being very, very precise. And some people don't. So people just like brood it and they rip it and that's cool, but that may work like three times out of 10, maybe four times out of 10. But the people who are really consistent with breaking and it looks clean is the people that are really precise with it. You can put power onto it, but you have to be precise with it because I guess the high level guys will be like the small little space that they got out.
1: Let's talk about your top game a bit too. One of which is kind of an oddball question. Your, your thoughts on Neon Belly?
0: I think it's dope. Um, As long as you know what you're doing. I think it's good for... I don't know, it's good for being mean. It's also good for getting your points in IBJJF or in any competition. So you, you shouldn't underestimate it because if you get the side control, you land there, and then you need some quick points and you have them controlled, but you're not able to actually move forward. The knee on belly is very, very beneficial. Just tipping that knee there is really, really good. But... It's a position that if you are not steady with your weight back, meaning if my knee is on your belly and it's not sinking weight downwards and backwards, you are going to get caught on the leg lock every single time or you're going to get caught in 50 50 every single time because your weight goes forward so there's a there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it and in around you never know how much power they have to give so it's not my first thing to go to but i do a lot of pinning systems now for a long time now i think you see it at some of my fights and sometimes you don't i think there was one fight in the UCC open that was the semi-final and I, I did all my pinning stuff so i'm pretty good inside control so i do me on belly but i isolate limbs before i get there so like you won't really have your arms more most of the time and you'll be cross face while I do that neon belly. It won't it won't be like a pure neon belly, and if it is, I'll make sure I have control of your hand or something like that. I won't I won't just like do
1: it straight. Now some fallacies of jujitsu. I'm I'm curious. I've heard people say things like, uh, there are some moves that work in the gi that don't necessarily work so great, no gi, and vice versa, right? Some examples which we can debate, or you can debate it. Some people sometimes say that. Close guard, not so great, no gi anymore. Reverse de la Riva, I've heard, not so great, no gi, or makes you susceptible to some leg stuff. And don't just focus on those two examples. I'm just curious what other, I mean, you can, but what other things that you've seen or, or may perhaps considered, or is that just sort of old thinking?
0: I think that reverse deliva is kind of like Delaheva. it's like a it's a movement guard you don't need to stay there forever like you can get a lot of trouble being in reverse dellahhiiva man for sure like um especially G and nogi eh, both see for me it, no man I train both so all right first off let me let me just say something about that like I'm a Marillo Santana black belt so that's just speak by itself I mean people note me for nogi maybe because I have had more success in nogi in the higher Level stuff, but I've been fighting gi since I started, and I fought more gi tournaments and more gi matches all the way up to 2019. Until I, that's where I really split to like a little bit more no gi. I love the gi. The gi represents. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that's super important to remember. And the gi is very hard to master. The, the, the grips, the guard attention in the gi is hard to master. And you can master a little bit more with nogi because it's based on pure structure. So this is what it is. The gi, you got away with a lot of things that normally you can't get away with in no gi because you can't grip them, you can't manipulate the structure. So the way I look at gi and no gi, the way I look at it now is nogi is the purest form of structured jiu-jitsu. Like body structure jiu-jitsu, bone skeletal systems, wedges. Hip bones, armpits, elbows, crooked elbows, head—like that's your body structure. And then I think of the gi as a chain. The nogi is the ball, the gi is the chain. So the chains still work in the same manner, but they have a little slack. So you just have to tune yourself for that slack. So that's how I view in my mind the tensioning now. You do need to know how to maneuver in the gi a lot more, which is why people, they cry about it. Like, oh, I don't want to, like, with gi is, dead. the gi is, listen, the gi is beautiful. The gi is beautiful. I love it. I had the, the gi the other day, and I was like, oh, I wanted to train more in the gi because I hadn't trained in the gi for, like, four days because i was getting ready for Pan Am. So, like, the last two weeks for Pan Am, I don't do anything but specific training. But normally, I start my week off Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday morning, and one session on the weekend is gi. Pure gi, don't do any nogi, And it's just a beautiful thing. I like to stay up on my Gi training. So if when I do want to go to a competition, I'm good. But the Gi is like super important. But translating transitions, like you're not really going to be able to learn. You, you need to be able to do that. You need a high level person in no Gi who follows the structures of the current systems in place for no Gi, meaning single leg X, meaning leg locks, meaning di- space distribution, all that stuff. And then you need a person who is actually high level Gi to be able to throw those two together. If you just have somebody that's okay at Gi, and does gi but does like no-gi style of ghee is not the same. I'm fortunate enough to have very high-level gi and I'm able to play with that 24/7. And honestly, for me, I know people say like you don't have to train gi to get your no-gi better, but like it really does make my no-gi better. Like I learned so many more guard retention things in gi and all the stuff is based on gi. And then when you throw it into no-gi and you put the structure into place, they have nothing to grab. It's so much easier to get out. So, I believe in doing both. But I think translating to gi is you just have to be have somebody there that is actually knows what they're talking about otherwise you're just going to get false statements in the gi like you need to be able to have updated guard attention updated passing in the gi and also being able to go through those back and forth you just need a high level person for that now, staying in positions that can cost you trouble. The game has changed. Yeah, every game has a hole. Like, you can stay in delahiva and push it down, two legs down, be in good squat, and be able to show both sides and you're good. I personally don't like to stay in Reverse De La that much these days because it is very, like, if they know what they're doing, it's very hard. Usually, if I stay there, it's because they're forcing it or... I'm taking a second to transition to something else. My favorite guard to play that I think is universal in Gi and Ogi is K guard. I think K guard is one of the best guards you can use transition wise, but widely used wrong. I think a lot of people use it very wrong and they get away with athleticism versus actually knowing how to use the K guard to their, their advantage. I think the K guard is very applicable, but it's a mixed guard. You can't have K guard without reverse Delhiva and Delehiva. You need all three. They are transition guards. The only guard that's really stagnant is close guard. Qu- close guard's stagnant, but any other guard, in order to move, you can't just hold them there. If they know what they're doing, they can't hold there. Maybe X guard is a little bit more stagnant. Maybe butterfly guard, you could stay a little longer. But again, I'm um, not really a butterfly player. I play a, a little bit to sweep. But if I'm not sweeping, I move on to playing my K guard or Delaheva reverse Delaheva. I made up a system called reverse K guard. Which is all the K guard stuff to the inside, which I replace my reverse Delehiva with and do reverse shallow K guard. So I do like, it's kind of like all the moves you can do reverse Delehiva, but because I wedge my foot on the inside of your leg, like I'm doing a shallow K guard on the outside, it gives me the ability to control you by your limb. And then, therefore, I go from there and get all the entries that I need. It's a guard I took a long time to develop. Like, a real long time to develop. Like, getting smashed trying to develop it. So, like, it's one of my things I like to do. I think that that's a very good guard to play with. But I don't believe that any true guard is stagnant. You know, like, if you stay in K guard long enough... it. You'll, you'll get beat. You'll stay in Delahiva, you stay in Delaheva long enough and you don't know how to offset them but you'll get beat against somebody who knows how to shut it down. So I think that you should be able to switch between those. You need to be able to be great at one, but versed in enough with the others to funnel it back to that one. So like I'm not the most amazing Delahiva player. And I say, like, my Delehiva is like a seven and a half out of 10, but it leads into my 10 on reverse Delaheva and K guard. Like, reverse Delaheva and K guard, I can blast and I have like 100% moves. And even in Delaheva, I have like 10 out of 10 moves that I do. But it all can shift back to K guard. So like I can K guard through that, to reverse Delahiva, through the inside, through the outside, and, and that's what makes it a little bit more dangerous for people, right? Because I, I I can do it both. If you only have one, it's not good. You you need to have a uh, understanding that when you defend Delahiva, a lot of the times they shift to reverse Delahiva. When you you shift to reverse Delahiva, you defend reverse Delahiva. They shift to either Delahiva or K guard, and then when you defend that you start getting into like other things so it's important to remember that you don't need to be an expert in everything you don't you need to have an understanding though of the structure and what's going on so that you can apply and defend and be able to shut it down if it comes up so like i'm not the craziest half guard player but like i religiously play half guard sometimes just so that i make sure that i'm up to date so when you do blast that i know what's gonna happen it's important
1: so jenny can you tell me a time that you wanted to quit and why
0: the beginning of twenty eighteen I wanted to quit jiu-jitsu. I just was surrounded by I, I have I have a lot of success in Jiu Jitsu, but I'm always so I grew up really bad and I grew up in a different way where I was had really bad things happen to me very early on. So my self confidence was really shot and, and honestly I made it through pure will of like my just dreaming about my dream and just putting it into actions and and be working really hard and pretty much sacrifice everything like everything like I don't go out I don't I didn't do nothing I just just did my craft right you know I did it so long and then I'd see my teammates just like get things that I wanted and I worked so hard for and it would break my heart And then I remember winning Kasai. I remember going on Kasai um, qualifier as a purple belt. And I remember going up two weight classes up because I wanted to prove to everyone that I can make it into the black belt thing. And I did. I won. I won everything. I beat all the black belts up as a purple belt. Went into the show. Two weight classes down. Weighed in. These guys weighed in at at 155 with day before weigh-in. And I weighed in at one hundred and forty-six pounds with my clothes on. I got fat and everything to fight these guys. And I fought all these guys, and I, I didn't do as well as I wanted to. But I, I showed, like you know, I leveled up, and and that I I was really good. I got my brown belt. And then I thought I was like, you know, pretty awesome. I got invited TBI. I remember I invited TBI and I decided, again, this is this goes back to something else. I, I invited TBI and I went to go to do this small competition. I had no business doing I was like two weeks out from EBI. A week out, I go in and I, I sub some guy. But I wasn't training that much gi at the time. And I decided that I was going to go into a gi match. One gi match that they asked me to do, and I was like, oh, okay, whatever, didn't care, and it was against somebody I had beaten before, so, like, I was like, ah, whatever, and I remember going in the match, and I didn't want to tap during something, and I popped my knee really bad, it was the first time I popped my knee in a knee bar really bad, and... I couldn't walk within an hour. A week out from EBI and my professor, you know, where where I'm, I'm devastated and then I ended up going to get a lot of work done. I rested a little bit. I I took I took a lot of painkillers, a lot of real heavy painkillers to hide the pain to, to go fight because I didn't want to pull out the fight because it was unfair to my opponents that I was going to not be there even though it was a dumb thing at the time I should have just pulled out but I was young and I I, was, I wanted to be there, I wanted to fight. So I tried my hardest but I couldn't I couldn't fight the way I wanted to. So First round, I had John Calistone, and I and I never fight on my knees. So like I don't fight on my knees, right? Like like I'm not one of those fighters. So I fight that fight. I'm not really into it. I knew I knew I was going to get tapped from the beginning of the match because I knew that my knee was fucked. I knew I knew I cannot move the way I needed to move to beat this guy. So what do you do against someone that you know that you respect? He's good. He's he's amazing. But like you pop your knee to the point where you couldn't walk two days ago. So I go and I do and I lose and and I was devastated and it sure really broke me. I. I home from training i mean complete training like i didn't train for like 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 a week i avoided pro training i taught my class and then i stood home and um i didn't go back <laughs> and marillo stopped me and, and had a discussion with me after like a week of me not being in training and he was just like look he told me a lot of stuff and how people like you know didn't want to train at this point point." and he just told me look you just we got to go forward you know we got to come go back we just gotta keep going so i did even though I was not into it. And then what ended up happening was after that knee bar that year, I had pulled my meniscus in training while I was training gi. And I went to do a throw by and my meniscus completely ripped. And I had a bucket handle tear. And so I had to get surgery now. And I had to choose between getting stitched up or surgery and the stitched up was like six months to a year and then didn't even they guarantee that I'd be back. So I ended up taking it out. I studied religiously how to do the pre-PT and the after PT so that I can do come back to competition within a month, within a month. And then I had two matches at, like set up back to back weekends coming back. And I was so driven that I was like I'm going to do this. And I did. I cleaned up everything. I made it to those fights And I would say I was at about like 95% But I was like Religiously Like I was like Committed to coming back strong And I want, went in And we fought In finishers I fought Ray um, Stingray From 10th Planet And I beat him And much respect to Ray Because I love Ray Ray's such a good person And then And we went to overtime And he subbed me And he won And I was like Oh my god And Ray's good man Like Ray's jiu jitsu Has gotten so good now And like I respect Ray so much And Ray is really good at overtime rules so like ray gets your back and he tries to choke you he he, he can finish you dude like i don't give a fuck who it is i've seen him finish a lot of people from there good people and then the next weekend i was doing the qualifier again so i was supposed to be able to go right into kasai after fighting the other one and just be in the tournament but they did not you know politics they denied me that and they made me fight Ethan think ethan krelliston the next week and i fought ethan krelliston the next week and I, you know like i was still you know my knee was still fucked up and those fights i had to drug myself to fight because it was like it was a little painful so i went out there and I fought, and it just, I got a little bit too emotional, rushed the match, and I lost. And then I had to relive those highlights, I think the whole year. I had fought the least amount in 2018, and I had won the tournaments, but I had lost my major matches. And because of that, it put me into like a really bad downward spiral. And I was dealing with a lot and and a lot of people don't know that they don't know that i was on that stuff and and i never to this day i'm saying it now but i never made that an excuse as i lost like i just lost like no matter what happens when you enter a fight regardless of what the circumstances are you either win or you lose and i i lost that's fine but i ended up wanting to quit really bad that after that like I just was like this is it I'm done but you pushed through and uh, it was very rough for me coming in because all my people that I started with I started before a lot of people at unity and they all got their black belts before me and I was very like held back and, and Marilla made sure I was really good before I got my black belt and it was very hard for me to like sit back and watch that happen but looking back at it now it was the right decision because you know Marilla you have to trust your instructor to know when you're ready for that level regardless of your results in competition or what's going on so he held me back and and it was me dealing with that it was a lot of jealousy at that time and it was a lot of like me comparing myself to other people which is a lot of my downfall and then I ended up coming back and and then I went back to training and I was like, okay, I manned through it. I went back to training. Someone I knew at the time sat me down and was just like, do you believe in yourself? Like, do you believe that you can do what you think you can do? Because you've done so much already. Do you believe you can do it? And, you know, I did, I do. And she's like, you know, like, that's the only person that really matters. Because I want everyone to believe in me. I want I want to prove everyone wrong. You know, everyone. Part of me always drives off that. Because I could always remember when people deny me. Even now, people don't give me the credit I deserve. So, like, it really pushes me to, like, go. But at that time, it was really bad. And... I ended up saying, okay, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to train, right? And I'm going to get back on the horse. And then this is what happened. I, I ended the year really well. Bounced back. I was fighting. I won all my fights towards the end of the year, and I was, like, winning invitationals. I won Kasai fights. I won everything. It was good. I got my head back on straight. But then I got, I got my black belt, and then I got invited to the Kasai qualifier, and I went in there, and I performed well. I beat back Calestine for that match that I lost. And I fought Geo. I fought Minari, and it was an awesome night. Um, I got second place. I had to fight my teammate in the final, and I lost, but we... You know, I had second place and it was okay. You know, like it was a good outing for me to come out on my black belt. And then I went to PANS and at that time, during that time frame, I had I had a lot of pain in my sciatica nerve. And I was switching to functional patterns to fix all those things. And it went away during that time frame. And then it came back for PANS. And then, but eventually it went away again forever. Like for right now, I haven't felt it since. But I lost PANS and then I was obsessed at like at this time you couldn't heal hook and I'd be Jeff and it does change the way you do your game no Gi and I wasn't as good as I am now at Jiu Jitsu to be honest and I'm going to explain this I was like I want to win the European and I want to win worlds and I needed points to get it so I had to travel and go fight all these things and I ended up taking third at Europeans and it broke my heart and I ended up taking third at worlds and that broke my heart and then when I came out in the beginning of the Gi season I think I lost my first match at black belt so like I won black belt debut I did Really won my black belt debut. Lost the competition for the first Pan Am's. Then I beat the New York Open. I beat the Mexico Open. I went to Mexico. I went to New York. I beat everybody. And then I went to Europeans and I lost in the semifinal and I got third. And then I went to Worlds and I lost in the semifinal and I really regretted that day because in the semifinal I was so so concerned with so many other things, helping other people coach, and I wasn't paying attention to myself. My weight cut system at the time was not healthy. It was not healthy as it is now I just had a bad showing and so then we went to the next year and then COVID happened so at that point in 2018 I wanted to quit at the end of 2019 I wanted to quit and I remember being in COVID and I was training in like my little pod with my professor Marillo Santana and Levi and my training partner Scott and they're all bigger than me and I was training with them in the gi, and I got wrecked every single round, like just so bad that I had walked away tearing by myself, contemplating if I really wanted to even do this anymore. And then I sat back, and I wanted to be really honest with myself, and I told myself, okay, we need to change something. We need to fix something. We have to go back, and we have to redo everything. So I went back, and I restudied everything I knew about jiu-jitsu. I restudied positions, frames, tensioning, posture, distance. Timing techniques for a while And then all of a sudden The guys who were beating me up every day Were not beating me up anymore And it made a huge difference Into truly understanding And putting more effort into learning More than just winning And when I did that I won more So competing is one thing But truly understanding jiu is another And I was able to really level up In that time frame And during COVID I leveled up I leveled up I leveled up And I said you know what I want to go back out now While everybody else is chilling I was working I was like I'm, I'm going to go back out And then I went back out and I resurrected my career I went on like I don't know how many Fights I won in a row And during COVID I think I was like One of the only people who Fighting during that time And I leveled up so much And then I almost won everything Every single year I lost like two fights Per year And I Medaled in Everything I'm a medalist in Worlds For Three years in a row I'm a medalist in Nogi Pans I'm a medalist in Europeans I'm a medalist in everything So like Even though we didn't win it We are very At the top of Every year I was able to resurrect my career Which made me fall back in love with jiu-jitsu it made me understand that I had gotten lost and strayed away from actually learning the craft and putting more effort and time into my craft and not rushing the process and being honest with myself and what my goals were and if I was really gonna be good really good and understanding comfortable and confident with myself that I'd have to really go back and redesign myself and I had to do that so imagine doing that at black belt you had to go all the way back to black belt and then go back and redesign and re study everything and then from there on I really just dove in everything. I gave everything I had to my craft and really paying attention to like what works and game planning and and competition. And then there was a Kennedy loss. I lost to Kennedy and he snapped like my winning streak at Fight to Win after like winning like, I don't know, like seven matches or something like that. And that made me study even more. And then I fought Mikey Musumeke and I lost, but I felt really good in that fight. I felt like we were equals. I didn't feel like I was below him at all. Actually, I feel like I'm one of the only people that actually can go jujitsu for jujitsu with him. But preparing for that fight, I had studied more jujitsu than I had ever studied into my life. Like I had studied everything that you could possibly think of. So I needed to be ahead and know how to counter every single thing that he was going to do and then be able to go, which is, I think the reason why I was able to hold my own with him was because I knew where he was going, where he wanted to be and I got there I was able to stop it beforehand and to me Mikey's like the goal of my weight class so like it's important to remember that fight leveled me up and feeling what he felt and feeling our thing It leveled me up and more then I went even deeper in studying and, and since then I just make sure I, I just honest with myself and just study and now I'm able to be very I got very efficient very good very fast and I wish I would have done that during my earlier years I wish I wish there was the content but there at that time there wasn't the content they go like there was no content you couldn't study Study. But at the time, in 2020, was when the instructions really came out. And I didn't waste any time on that. And I started taking things from my professor, things from this, and just mixing it and really sitting down and playing. And it took a long time, but it really paid off. And I can actually say that I am a very well-rounded practitioner now at a very high level than what I was. Like, if I compare myself to my 2019 or, like, any of those things that I won so many things, I was shit. Like, my jiu was horrible. Now, I feel like I can go with anybody. Anywhere, anytime, and I'm 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 very knowledgeable in gi in no gi. and so it's very important to be there. So th- those are the times I want to quit, and those are the journeys I went on throughout the last couple of years. And then after 2021, I had to deal with a lot of things and not winning worlds and not getting my goals that I want really don't sit good with me. But I know that I'm in in a better state with a lot more mental perseverance and a lot more mental work and understanding of myself. That I know that I will get there, and I'm going to get it, and I'm just got to keep focused and follow my route and not really worry about what other people are thinking of me.
1: Junie, I want to talk about your media. You have an unprecedented amount of offerings. I think it's 15 now on BJJ Fanatics, and it's fantastic stuff. And not only that, you have a YouTube channel, which is incredible as well, that you guys got to check out. And that doesn't even mention your Instagram channel that has a lot of great stuff on there as well.
0: Yeah, so I have 15 instructionals on BJJ Fanatics, it's crazy to say, which is why you haven't seen nothing from me in like at least two, three years. But I will release some new stuff, maybe one or two on BJ Fanatics, but I promise you the JuniLock instructional is coming out. So I'm super happy about that. I will have that recorded very soon and I will have a whole new system for that. But on the platforms that are currently available, I have BJJ Fanatics 15 instructionals, of which I show you a lot of variations, a lot of thought process and a lot of systems one including the z lock which is probably the most unique instructional i have to this day it is one of the most updated versions of the z lock that i made in 2020 i'm gonna come out with another one but for now that that one's really good and my up-to-date passing stuff um it doesn't have, really have that much of my gi stuff which i'm ashamed to say i really want to put my gi stuff out more but um there's still a lot of time to do that and then on my youtube channel type in Junior Ocasio and on youtube and it should come right up we have hacks in gi in class right rolling i at least post like once a month to keep the content steady but not give too much but you guys will get content of rolling or you'll get some shorts i offer a lot of motivational posts on my instagram so you're always going to see me give you motivational posts sponsor posts and then you're going to get techniques and you're going to get class films of class on there as well so i have a tiktok as well i don't run it my girlfriend runs it so um if you try to talk to me on there you are not talking to me you are talking to my girlfriend but on the tiktok is you get all all the same content that you would get on YouTube and a lot of the stuff on Instagram. So you have a a bunch of places you can find me. And I think that my YouTube channel, a lot of the free content does change a lot of people's games. I've got a lot of feedback that when they watch that YouTube content, that it just changed the way they do their game. So that content is free. That content, I don't ask for anything in return. If you do go there and you do like it and does help you, I ask that hopefully you leave a review or that you go to my page and follow me.
1: Junior, was there anything else that you want to discuss that we didn't discuss?
0: No. I think that that's cool. Sometimes it's nice to just talk about straight jujitsu instead of all these like crazy life stuff. I want to leave everyone with a message. I want everyone to be truly honest with what they want in their life and what they want with their goals. And I want people to be really honest with yourself on what you're willing to do to get those goals and how consistent you are with them and to never stop believing in yourself and that you are capable of anything in this world with perseverance and make sure that you truly believe in yourself and know that you are loved no matter
1: how you feel. That's beautiful, man. Thank you so much for sharing that with everyone. Well, everyone, I am your host, Adolfo Fronda, like, subscribe, and do all the things and all the platforms that you're listening on or watching. And we really appreciate all your support. Consider subscribing to the VIP stuff for censored free, no ads, early release stuff and some outtakes. And uh Junie, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh It was such an honor to have you on the show and to have this conversation with you. It means the world to me. Thank you so much, man.
0: Thank you so much for having me on.
1: All right. Thanks, everyone. See you guys next time.